What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Neighborhood Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Kevin Ballantin. I'm the other host of the Neighborhood Podcast. I go by the name of Kyle Dabro, and I also have to present a new webcam to you guys. So switching things up a little bit on my end. But Kev, what's going on, man? What's going on? Do you really want to know what's going on? Well, for, 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 for those of you that are unaware, today is opening day in the MLB. As you can tell, I am wearing my traditional Yankees hat as I do every season. Um, however, the day did not go as expected, or should I say, didn't go the way that I wanted it to. So I know that there was uh, a list of games going on throughout the entire year, or should I say throughout the day, but I, I obviously only watched the Yankee game because it was on during work, and I don't have cable. So I'm going to just dive right into it. Uh, it's game one. I'm already livid. I'm already frustrated. I already want everybody's head on a platter. I already want Aaron Boone fired. I am the most overdramatic fan you can possibly imagine, as everyone has already seen if you saw the Gary Sanchez video. Um, I tend to take things to the next level relatively quickly. So, like I said, I'm just going to dive right into it. We lost the game 3-2. to two. Now, by the stat sheet, or should I say by the scoreboard, Kev, you lost by one first game of the year. It's going to be okay. It's fine. You went extra innings, blah, 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 right? You know what I say? That Fuck that. I say fuck that, right? So here's why I say fuck that. And I say it with like a capital F, like fuck that. Because the people we pay the most money to, the best players on our team, absolutely positively shit the bed. I'm going to get into why one person did good. I'm just going to get one person. That was it. And, I, and I'll, I'll say it before Kyle says it. Gary Sanchez. <laughs> gave us a home run at his first at bat in the second inning or in the third inning. I don't remember exactly which inning. Uh, it, it was, was a, the second inning. It was, it was a second. two. It was a two run home two, run. Be a little bit more two. specific now. Okay, 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 okay. Someone was on base, and then Gary drove him. Yeah, 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 yeah. So after that, the entire offense absolutely stagnant as a whole. The New York Yankees left ten batters on, or should I say, ten runners on base in a nine inning game. And we struck out as a team 13 times out of 27 at-bats as a team. Or 30 at-bats because we, you know, at the, uh, no. It doesn't matter how many fucking at-bats. We had 13 strikeouts. Son. It's absolutely ridiculous the fact that we go from last season to where we had absolutely no plate discipline in the postseason where the Rays looked like they had three Cy Young Award winners to this season where everybody was working Labor Torres lost weight. Um, Gary Sanchez lost weight. Aaron Judge put on a few more pounds of muscle. Giancarlo Stanton was healthy. You know, Luis Severino's coming back. Like, everybody was changing, improving, you know, like, uh, stepping up their game. And we go and do the same shit we did last fucking season. Bro, 13 strikeouts against a, Toronto's, a Toronto Blue Jays team without fucking George Springer. And we lost. So we lost at home. DJ LeMahieu fucking went. 0 for 4. Aaron Judge, 1 for 5. Aaron Hicks, 0 for 4. Shall I keep going? Oh, Stanton, by the way, 0 for fucking 5 with three strikeouts. Oh, uh, Aaron Hicks had three strikeouts too. So, so I'm just going to keep going down the list. Gilbert Torres, 1 for 4. Gio Urshela, 0 for 4. Gary Sanchez, 2 for 3. Um, Jay Bruce was – where am I looking here? Jay Bruce, I think, was 0 for 3. Uh, and then Clint Frazier was two for three. So as a whole, we had six hits. Toronto had eight hits. Toronto also had 13 strikeouts. But at the end of the day, they scored when it mattered. And for whatever reason, we just genuinely cannot lay off pitches. We are swinging at garbage or we're trying to extend the strike zone past the point of no return. Like, I just, I, I can't comprehend why this offense tends to just say, yo, we're the Yankees. I'm Aaron Judge. I'm John Carlos Stanton. I'm just going to swing. And if it fucking goes out, it goes out. I know I shat on Gary Sanchez for doing this, but it seems like he must have rubbed off on the rest of the team because it doesn't seem like nobody gives a fuck at the plate because they're just swinging at air and they're putting in a little to no effort. I'm absolutely positively frustrated because each individual player on this roster knows that their job is to put the ball in play or send the ball out. We re-signed DJ LeMahieu for a lot of money. He comes in here and he fucking shits the bed and goes over four. We know Aaron Judge is the captain of this team or the leader of this team. He goes fucking over five. And the list continues. 
we have these players, these 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 superstars, and they are absolute dog shit right now. Again, it's game one. I understand that, but it's carrying over from the postseason. Stanton had a historic postseason in his in his own self, but he played a total of like four regular season games last year. So unless he fucking stays healthy for 140 plus games, I don't want to hear it. I said it last year. We should have traded Stanton and got something back for him just because I can't trust his health. Aaron Judge needs to get his head out of his ass and step it the fuck up. And for whatever reason, Glaber Torres doesn't know how to feel that shortstop because we let D.D. Gregorius go because we were going to put fucking uh, Torres. Excuse me. We were going to put Glaber Torres at short. He had nine errors last year and he had an error already today. I've absolutely positively had enough. We had arguably one of the best pitchers in baseball on the mound today. Gave up fucking two runs. Fine, understandable, but we really lost to the Blue Jays with 13 strikeouts. Like, I, I'm just angry. I'm I'm pissed off. I watched the game. I missed two innings. I missed the fifth and the sixth because I was on lunch. I had to take the dog out for a walk, whatever. Um, the point of the matter is, I come back and I watch the game. It's tied two two, and I'm just watching strikeout after strikeout or ground out or just lack of effort, and it's just. It's absolutely ridiculous. Like this, this Blue Jays team is actually solid. I get that. So there's no disrespect on the Toronto portion of this at all. They, they played a great game and it, they took us to extras at home and they, and they got the win where they needed to. But the fact that we had to actually have our best players basically have zero hits, as we all know, like I said, DJ Aaron and Giancarlo Stanton combined for, what is that? Um, 0 for 5, 0 for 5, 0 for 4, 4 0 for 14. We don't pay you this fucking much money to go over fucking 14. Gary Sanchez, the worst player on this fucking team, is the only person that scores us runs. It's absolutely ridiculous. And Rob Manfred, the commissioner of fucking baseball, changed that goddamn extra inning bullshit of putting a man on second to start the inning. It's ridiculous. It's not fun. It's not entertaining. It's not going to make the game better. It's stupid. It, it's, it's ruining baseball. You literally are giving the other team an immediate advantage. I don't give a shit if it was us that would have scored if we were in Toronto. It's stupid. It takes away the integrity of the game, and it gives players less motivation to want to play. A base hit literally drives the majority of anybody. You could just start the game with a pinch runner, and a single anywhere on the field is going to bring most people in. It's a waste of time, and I think it's just it's just stupid. Before I get an aneurysm, you've been smirking since I started. What, what, what do you have? What Gary Sanchez bullshit do you have? Just just let it rip. Hold up. I got to take my headphones off real quick because I told you, I told Kevin when when Kevin told me that Gary Sanchez hit that two-run dinger. You've got to start the be game fucking off. kidding me, bro. I'm just – I told Kevin that I was going to be in my element, and pretty much that's what I got. Uh, so got a nice little – Bottle of brandy here. I got a nice little bottle of Hennessy Black here. And I could not forget the main one last thing. I had to ring out the cigar. Kev, what did I tell you this entire time for the last two to three weeks with Gary Sanchez? New year, new me. And that's exactly what happened with Gary Sanchez today. Now, I'm not even going to talk about the rest of the team because the rest of the team was dog shit today. I'm just going to be 100% honest with you. But Gary Sanchez, the man you gave no shot to, the man that you dragged through the dirt for the last two to three weeks, if not the last month, was the only bright spot outside of the pitching for the Yankees today. And I thought that this is the guy that you hate the most. And you just want to speed through the fact that Gary Sanchez maybe right now, I'm saying right now, based off of just one game, the best hitter that the Yankees have to offer right now, since everybody else pretty much from Aaron judge, Giancarlo Stanton, Aaron Hicks decided to basically swing at garbage that you constantly criticized Gary Sanchez for forever. But he was the one that could actually really only hit the ball today and actually scored 
the only two runs that the Yankees could put up with a lineup that includes the guys that I just said. So when you texted me that, I literally got out of my car and just started laughing when I was on my Amazon route today because it was just like, it's just divine intervention. It just had to be. And I know (laughs) I just had to text that. Kevin sent me like five different texts saying, I know what happened. Don't, uh, don't, don't bother me. Leave me alone. I'm like, I'm not here for this. And then I just texted back to him. I told him I am going to be insufferable with a little laughing face emoji at the end of the text, just because of all the people of all the players on the Yankees, this guy, Gary Sanchez, it's a dinger to start off the Yankees season and the only home run that the Yankees had to offer today. So 407 foot to left center field. Center, I'm just saying you, give this man a chance. New year, new me, new Gary Sanchez. That's all I got to say. So I'm just, I'm happy for my guy, Gary. You still owe me a case since he was the day one starter. And I've also forgot to mention that he had a cannon shot throw to second base to get one of the runners out to end the inning. Let the record be known. I've never denied his ability to throw out runners because we all know he has a cannon. My problem was his ability to stop pass balls, which he did very well today. He stopped about four or five that I particularly caught because I was looking on and off at the game today, but I will give him credit. He played good today. It's got to be consistent because this hatred might transfer over really quickly to a, a couple of other players on this roster if we don't fucking decide to wake the hell up and realize we are the goddamn New York Yankees, one of the most historic franchises in all of sports, one of the most expensive franchises in all of sports, one of the greatest fucking legacies in every sport. And we're just going to sit here and play like the fucking Orioles and just play like fucking garbage. So I've had enough. I've been angry at them all day. And, you know, I got a lot more to say. But, again, it's game one. I just wanted to give you guys a little outlook on my mind. Hold up, Kev. Before we transition into our next segment, do you want a shot of this? I Man, go home, man. It is, it is more than ready for you. I know you need man. probably need a shot, maybe 10, after, you know, day one did not go so well for the Yankees. But, look, Yankees are 0-1 to start the season. You're down one case, going to be down two with Russell in a couple months. And your boy, Gary Sanchez, decided to just show the world that he's uh, he's going to be okay. And um, two to two of three. Got two yeah, Two walks. Just saying. Got yeah, to a yeah, good start. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He, we got 161 he, more games to go. He has the best batting average of the team right now. I'm aware. Just saying. Just, uh, I am. I'm very well aware. I just. Uh, I'm just. I'm glad that. Uh, I'm glad Gary Sanchez decided to show up. Oh, Judge and, went uh, one for four. Excuse me, I misread. I was looking at Aaron Hicks's stat line. Judge went one for four. Like that really makes a difference. Like it really makes a difference. It just is what it is. But Whatever. but like I said, thank you, Gary. Thank you for stepping up since you were the only Yankee player that decided to show up today. Except for maybe Garrett, except for Cole, maybe. Yeah, Garrett's pitch count went a little high today, which is what I was upset about because he's on a obviously a pitch restriction. You don't want him fucking throwing 130 pitches in the first game. And at the end of the fourth, he had 73. Ridiculous. Anyway, anyway, before, you know, I give myself another fucking migraine. Um, to transition into the next segment we want to talk about, I wanted to bring up the topic of discussion for DeMarcus Cousins. He recently signed a 10 day contract with the Los Angeles Clippers. And I kind of just wanted to take a deep dive into DeMarcus's, I don't know, unlucky path the last four or five years. Um, Kyle, I know you have the injuries pulled up. Can you give me the rundown or give us the rundown of uh, what he's been going through the last four years? Well, I mean, over the last three years, I mean, he's had some significant injuries. Towards quad, towards Achilles, towards ACL, 
it's just there's a long list of injuries here and all of these injuries i mean just one of these injuries by itself is a debilitating injury to an nba player the fact that he's had all three of them and is still trying to go out there and have a decent career just try to be a decent player moving forward is just it is kind of a testament to his ability just to to bounce back from these significant injuries significant injuries that he sustains and try to make it work but kev i'll I'll let you have the floor since those are some of the injuries that he has just in the last couple years or so i just wanted to go over something really quick um demarcus cousins at one point was arguably or you know for sure the best center in the league in his last closing years in sacramento we're talking about a guy that single-handedly was carrying Sacramento to some form of relevance, averaging damn near 28 points per game his last season in San Antonio, 10 rebounds, and shooting an efficient 49% from the field, 36% from the fucking three, and then what? what, what has, he was averaging five assists a game. That's MVP numbers. For, for a 6'11 center in one of the worst franchises in the league, for him to single-handedly be like, yo, I'm not going to let us go out like this. And he was arguably the best big man at the league at the time. That's what I'm saying, yeah. Like, DeMarcus had uh, a certain feel to him, if you will. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I know you're not going to feel the same way about this. But I felt that as he was getting better in Sacramento, he was becoming a very dominant force down low. And in my opinion, I might get bashed for this, I felt he was one of the most dominant players I've ever seen outside of Shaq. Like he got down in the post whenever he wanted. I know it's not to to the level of Shaq, but no one's ever going to be like Shaq. So what I'm saying is he's the closest thing we've had to dominance since Shaquille O'Neal was in the league in his prime because of the things he was doing. And he was more athletic than Shaq. He was able to dribble. He was able to pull up from deep. He was able to pass the ball efficiently and still be a factor on the defensive side of the ball. We're talking smash mouth, technical foul, getting getting in your face, giddy, uh, giddy up, you know what I'm saying, ready to fight. And he was just, whenever the ball was in the post, he did not back down from a soul. There were very few, if not not many people, that can actually play him on the block and get a stop. I'm just saying, when, when, when I used to see DeMarcus highlights in Sacramento, I got a Shaq feel behind it like a little like damn that was kind of like he bullied the shit out of him or he just fucking posterized that man like it was just I got that urge that he was just on a tear and he was just feeling it to the point where he could not be stopped and we're literally sitting here talking about one of the best centers in the league at the time back then to now being on what seems to be a potential you know a uh a career, a career last stop for him in LA. If he doesn't get this 10 day contract, or should I say, if he doesn't, you know, get past this 10 day contract, there may not be any more boogie. There may be no more DeMarcus cousins. And I, uh, it's kind of scary because when he came back from the ACL and he did his thing in new Orleans, you know what I mean? He, uh, he was playing phenomenal. And I mean, like he was doing really good. And then that running golden state when he had Torres quad, um, when he came back from that, he was averaging 16 points a game. So, I mean, he was never going to be the same boogie that he was because of the injuries. But overcoming all of those things, it was absolutely insane. And I'm reading my notes. I actually have it backwards. He tore his Achilles in New Orleans. And then he tore his quad. And then he tore his ACL. I had it backwards. So, nevertheless, he's been on a number of teams since then. He obviously got traded to New Orleans. Then he left New Orleans and signed with the Warriors to go on their run. We all know, again, he got hurt over there. And then he went to L.A. And then he didn't even get to play a single game in L.A. because he tore his, his, uh, his ACL. And now he signed with Houston this past offseason. And then they cut him. And now he's on the Clippers. So, Kyle, I mean, like, we're talking about one of the more exciting players to watch relatively like a couple of years back to now kind of falling down to the bottom of the totem pole, basically playing for the last contract of his life potentially. What are your thoughts on Boogie Cousins journey, man? I mean, I got to give him credit. He's overcome a lot of things that most men would have given up by now, but do you think it's time for him to hang it up? Not yet. 
the reason why is, is that he's only 30. If he was like 34, 35, kind of the age of like where LaMarcus Aldridge is right now, I would say that he should start contemplating retirement. But he's only 30 years old, so I would still kind of give him maybe a couple of years before I would just go to the point where he should just retire if this 10-day contract with the Clippers doesn't work out. But here's what I will say about Boogie is that Boogie had a fantastic start to his career in Sacramento. The only problem is, is that he played Sacramento. You can even look to like De'Aaron Fox right now. De'Aaron Fox is having a great year, but nobody really cares because he's playing on Sacramento and Sacramento is going nowhere. Sacramento, even when Boogie was there, he played great, but the team pretty much never made any sort of positive impact or even made a deep run into the playoffs. I don't even believe they even made the playoffs while Boogie was on the Kings while he was there. Mm-mm. But with that said, though, it did set him up for a chance to at least revitalize his career when he went to the Pelicans, but suffered a massive injury while he was there. And the one thing that I've noticed about Boogie, especially with just these litany of injuries that he sustained over the last three to four years is that he can't jump anymore. And as a big man, look, even if you can't score like you used to, you could at least go out there and help your team out just to get some rebounds. But the thing is, he just, he just doesn't have that. He doesn't have the lift anymore. That explosiveness. It's just, it's, it's gone. And it makes sense when you tear your Achilles Coming off, coming back from that is extremely difficult. There are very few players that can come back from that and reach that level that they did prior to the injury. But not only that, he tears his quad. He tears his ACL. I mean, he's got the trinity right there when it comes to just debilitating injuries to your leg. It's, at some point, it doesn't matter your ability to come back from these injuries there's going to be just a complete devaluation of your skill set just because you're not able to generate the same amount of explosiveness, as you said, or just the amount of lift that you used to on your jumps anymore. And it kind of show, it shows when I watched him play in Golden State, even when he had his dunks, you could tell that it almost looked like he was struggling to get up to the hoop. And for somebody in his late 20s at the time when he was playing with Golden State, it showed that he's probably going to be not as impactful as he was when he was on Sacramento. Aside from that dunk on Kyle Kuzma. I mean, that was a poster, boy. I'll give him that, but it's like I said, he'll have like these little flash moments, and then unfortunately it's followed up by a major injury. And I've said this before. I don't know if I've said it on the podcast before, but I've said it just kind of in general conversation. When you sustain a major injury and you're out for an extended period of time, I've always been in the mindset that it compromises the entire, your entire body. And I think with him, I think that was the case because DeMarcus is a big guy. DeMarcus weighs like 270 pounds, 275 pounds. He's 276.10. I mean, in carrying that weight on a leg that's already compromised, whether it was an ACL, a quad, and an Achilles, that's, that's a lot of weight to be carrying around on a, a compromised leg. And we'll see what happens when he's with the Clippers. I don't know how effective he's going to be. I wouldn't be surprised that if the Clippers do kind of sign him to the rest of the season. I think the 10-gate contract, they'll definitely kind of kick the tires on him just to kind of see how it goes. But I wouldn't be surprised if they ended up signing him for the rest of the year. I think just to have him there for depth, I think is probably a good thing. And I, and I do like his presence on the bench. He does seem to be a guy that can kind of mend some possible flares. Like I, I remember one in particular when he was playing with – Golden State where KD and Draymond got into it and DeMarcus Cousins was there to kind of kind of keep things a little bit on the uh, how do I say this 
he at least tried to at least keep things a little bit cooler um, on the sideline while Katie and Draymond went at it whenever they did. So I think just having that presence there, I think is a positive if the Clippers ended up keeping him for the rest of the year. But I just don't know how viable he's going to be as a player. He's not going to be like what he was in Sacramento. Those days are long gone. Oh yeah. Big time. But having a 10 year vet on the bench, even going into the playoffs, because the Clippers are going to be probably a top three, top four seed in the Western conference going into the playoffs this year. I think they'll be just fine if they have him even as just a depth guy, just to kind of give just the young guns and then maybe Kawhi and Paul George, at least just a decent role model on the bench to have. But as far as his play goes, I think it's going to be minimal at best. Oh yeah. No, I don't think he gets more than maybe 10 to 15 minutes a game. If he does make it past the 10 day contract, um, I think you're right. I think they do need the depth. I think they do need the assistance in the locker room. You know, they do have a lot of different players on that team outside of Kawhi and Paul George. And uh, I think that Ty Lue could use some help kind of reining those attitudes, those personalities in. Mm-hmm. Now, the counterpart is if you do sign Boogie Cousins, he kind of brings his own baggage into it, his own drama. Um, you do know he's a bit of a hothead. He has a reputation with majority of refer- referees in this game or in this league where the second he mouths off, it's an immediate tech. Or, you know, the second he kind of gives an attitude, that's tech number two, and that man gets ejected faster than a, faster than my dog pisses on the carpet. So, I mean, <laughs> it, I, I I just, you know, uh, DeMarcus has a lot of good that he brings to a team, but he also comes with a lot of baggage. Uh, if he makes this roster, again, I, I do think that he'll make a difference, especially because of the addition of Andre Drummond to the Lakers. Um, if they do get into a series, that he would be able to give – you know, drumming a little bit of a headache on the back end just because he is still a big bodied presence and he is a bit physical. So, you know, if Zubak gets into foul trouble, DeMarcus is a good substitution to say, hey, you know, you, you can still rely on me, but to uh, solely focus on one matchup in particular and say they'd sign him for that would be foolish. So, I mean, it may not work out. He may not perform. He may not play very well. I haven't seen him really do anything. I don't know when that 10 day contract was officially signed. I don't know if it was yesterday or this morning. But we'll we'll just have to monitor it, you know, every day and see kind of like, all right, what did he do today? Or like, you know, how, how did he perform last night? So that'll be a, a game by game review, so to speak, for us. Um, I, but I, since we're on the- I think just the name of DeMarcus Cousins, I think that gets him a, it gets him a contract for the rest of the year. I, I think just the name. I, I hope so. For his sake, I know, really I, do. I really I, hope so. I, listen, I could be wrong. I don't know how much they're going to be able to play him. They're probably going to just, like I said, kick the tires on him. Maybe try to get him out there for twenty minutes a game because he's not going to be. Starting. I said t- I say ten fifteen. It really depends on his health too. We don't know what the hell's going on or what he's been doing. I just think at this point that <laughs> if he does some decent things out in the court, I'm not saying that he has to go out there and get twenty points in like fifteen twenty minutes. But no, if he, but if he gets hot, you know, keep him on the floor. Yeah, if he can, if he can knock down a couple jump shots or some low post shots, get a couple rebounds, and just kind of give the team just a little boost that it needs while Kawhi and Paul George are on the bench. Go for it. Exactly. You can't really lose anything right now. You know, if he shits the bed, you caught him. You know what I'm saying? Like you tried. Yeah. yeah. I do think personally I'm being dead ass. If he flops and doesn't make this 10 day contract, I think it's over. I'm not willing like, to I, go that far yet. I'm not, not I'm yet. not saying, I'm not saying he's out the league. I'm saying like, I don't think he's going to play for a competitive team again because he's going to have to, he, he's going to realize like I played for Golden State at the time, Houston was still a viable option in the West because when he got cut, they were still somewhat relevant in the terms of being in the, the, the playoff hunt. Mm-hmm. He played in the finals with Golden State. He signed with the Lakers and got hurt. It, it's like, how many more playoff teams do you want to play for? And then like, absolutely fuck up. You know what I'm saying? Like, and fuck up by like, you know, unfortunate bad luck injury wise and then in houston i still don't understand why he got cut this season i'm not saying they're stellar numbers but he was averaging just under 10 points and almost eight rebounds a game for for for, he he wasn't playing a lot but i mean like it's not could could houston really afford to let somebody like this go he was coming off of a you know what I'm saying? Another offseason, a new team, a new system. You literally just traded your best player away. He had to get chemistry with new people. They, I they just were, don't get it. They were quick to let him go, though. 
You said they were quick or? I said they were quick to let him go. That's what I'm saying. Like it just, it didn't make sense to me when I saw that they were, they were waving him or buying him out or whatever the situation was. I was like, really already it's it he played 25 games for them like what the why he i mean he did get ejected like three or four times in the season within 25 games and so maybe the attitude was the issue and maybe steven silas is like you know what i can't have this on the team i can't do it like i already had i already had a drama queen with one yeah i I, okay i see that that makes more sense so i could definitely understand and look i know steven silas is not having the best year his first year coaching in the league Come back home, Steve. You don't need to be doing this bullshit. But I think just looking at the way that Houston has played, Houston has played a little bit better. Obviously, they're still at the bottom of the Western Conference. It's not like they're going to make the, make the playoffs or anything like that this year. But I think really the best thing that they could probably do at this point is just kind of find some sort of a groove to at least finish the season off okay and then see if you can build upon that going into next year. I hope he actually is the coach for Houston next year. I don't know if they're going to give him another chance next year, but I would like to see him go back and have another crack at going back to Houston and seeing what he could do in his second year as a coach there. Yeah, no, there's, there's no way to let him go that early. They just, you know, you had the whole hardened thing to start the season. You had injuries plagued the bench. You had the whole DeMarcus Cousin fiasco. Then you had the trade for Victor Oladipo that didn't go as well. Like, there were too many outlying factors that he didn't have any yeah. control of. You know, um, the, 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 the P.J. Tucker scenario, you know, and then obviously Christian – what's his name? The one Christian, we were talking Wood. About, the, uh, Christian Wood. Christian Wood was hurt for like 20-something games. So, like – Yeah, he rolled an ankle pretty good. Yeah, so, I mean, you really can't blame him for things that are well out of his control. I think he definitely gets a second crack, but he will be on the hot seat to start the season. And I wouldn't be surprised next season if they don't do as well or they don't do good. Um, he'll probably be out of there. And it's unfortunate because he was uh, a very good assistant coach for Dallas. Players loved him. He was a player's coach. And uh, for him to get cut early or be dealt this hand is just really unfortunate. Fair enough. I feel you on that. Uh, Yeah, no, I mean, since we're kind of rolling with this NBA, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Carousel. Um, uh, Another team of mine played a very disappointing basketball game last night. Um, the Dallas Mavericks went into TD Garden and squeaked out a victory of 113 to 108 against the Boston Celtics. Uh, the Celtics bought a two games under 500 at 23 and 25. The Mavericks kind of continue to make their late playoff push to go 25 and 21. We are the seventh seed in the West, and I believe Boston is what sixth or seventh in the East or something like that. Because I know Charlotte and the Knicks are four and five. So, I mean, well, I know that Boston, I know Boston is a sub five hundred team right now since they've been yeah. playing. They've been playing really inconsistently the last couple of weeks or so. But just to pull up the uh, the they are actually the eighth seed right now. So one of the better teams in the league on paper, one of the younger teams, one of the better coach teams, is almost out in the Eastern Conference, a weak Eastern Conference at that. And the Mavs were up by 23 or 24 points last night. And we found a way to almost lose this game in literally the last four or five minutes. Um, uh, Excluding the stellar and magical play of Luka Doncic going off for uh, 36, eight and five. Uh, He also had eight turnovers. So Luka, again, he did. He's the sole reason we won. However, he took 11 threes. Again, he made seven of them. He's not known to be the greatest shooter. So all of those attempts seem to be forced or seem to be, you know, heat check moments that he continued to make. He went 11 of 15 from the field, one of the most efficient nights I've seen him play. But in the plus minus, he was negative too. He was a defensive liability. Whenever he turned the ball over, he completely stopped playing. He complained to the referees. I've been saying this since his rookie year. He needs to stop bitching because it's not going to make anything any better. We all know what happens when Braun bitches and stars bitch. It, it doesn't really go anywhere. You know what I mean? Like you stopping defensive play because you want to complain hurts your team because it's four on five. Um, outside of that, Kristaps Porzingis was our next, or excuse me, it wasn't Kristaps. It was Jalen Brunson coming off the bench, scoring 21, grabbing five boards and dishing out three assists. And then it was Kristaps going with uh, 19 points and eight and eight boards. But as a whole, um, the Mavericks really showed me last night that defense is just a complete non-focus for me. 
And it, it just seemed like we had no effort in the fourth quarter. I mean, like Boston was chipping away slowly. We started turning the ball over exponentially in the fourth. Um, Luca was kind of forcing up a couple of threes. Again, he only missed four, but there were about two or three where the shot clock was running down and he kind of had to throw it up there. But uh, late in game, you can tell when you double and trap Luka Doncic, he tries to overcompensate and try to dribble out of a lot of situations or make a flashy pass. And, you know, with a double team, in most cases, it does smother the ball handler and kind of makes it difficult for him to make a regular pass. And when you throw something fancy or crazy, it just nine times out of ten doesn't work. And then, obviously, you know, a lot of other role players didn't step up for us last night. Tim Hardaway Jr., one for six from three. He only scored seven points. Trey Burke, he only had three points. Josh Richardson, one of the players that we traded for Seth Curry, he only had eight points. Maxi Kleba, five. And the list goes on and on. And it's just a continued focus of when it's not Luka and KP, we just do not tend to play well. And then on the opposite side, obviously for Boston, we had a very evenly distributed game amongst their starters. We had Jalen scoring 24, Marcus Smart 17, Kemba scored 22 with a sick crossover on Maxi Kleba, by the way, disgusting. And then we had Jason Tatum leading the, uh, leading the Cavalry with 25 points. So it's like uh, Boston found a way to like scrape their way right back into it. And it just showed the grittiness of this young team. But I know Kyle's got some more metrics for you guys in terms of defensive purpose, but Boston didn't play good defense either because we scored 64 points at the half while Boston only had, what is it, 45? We were smoking them early. And then Boston obviously led the charge and found a way to score damn near 70 points in the second half. So it was just they turned it up when they needed to. It just wasn't enough to overcome the deficit that they had. Luckily, they did miss some open shots, and we were able to hold on. But going forward, both teams aren't where they should be. Obviously, Dallas is still in the playoff hunt as well as Boston. Boston's record should not be this bad. Kyle, we both know Jason Tatum and, and Jalen Brown are a very, very competent and effective duo in this league. But the fact that they're just not producing, I mean – I don't know what it could be. I don't know what it is, but I mean, I, I'm passing the ball to you, bro. What what the hell's going on in Boston, man? They can't play defense. They can't play defense, and they don't really have a big man to actually own the paint. When you look at Boston, as far as their like their defense goes, their defensive rating is ninth worst in the league. Now, even with that said, though, you can look at some other teams across the league and say, well, Brooklyn has a worse defensive rating than Boston, and yet Brooklyn's the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. And that's largely because Brooklyn's going out there and scoring almost 125, 130 points a night. Now, with Boston, Boston can score. They have great scorers in Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum. And I know Jalen Brown is an excellent defender, but – Outside of Jalen Brown and Marcus Smart, defensively, they really struggle. Kemba is a huge liability defensively. Don't get me wrong. Kemba can go out and score, but he is going to be a complete mismatch for defensive purposes for Boston's defense. And they don't have a big man. They just traded Daniel Tice a couple weeks ago, and pretty much all that you're left with down low is Taco Fall, and Tristan Thompson and look, Taco didn't Fall, even play. Tristan didn't even play neither did Taco. I'm just saying in general, like when you look at that, when you look at those two guys, Taco Fall is I think in what his second year in the league, and he's and he's still learning the ropes of what it's like to be a big man in the NBA. And when you look at somebody like Tristan, Tristan's a decent player. It's just that I have this this ugly view of Tristan just based on what he did in the finals when LeBron was in Cleveland, when he went to four straight finals with the Cavs, where there were multiple games where Tristan Thompson had zero points and maybe like two rebounds or two points and like two rebounds. There were games where Steph Curry was out rebounding Tristan Thompson and Tristan Thompson was the big man of that team. When you look at what Boston has right now, that's who they have. I'm not saying that Tristan Thompson is a scrub. It's just that defensive purposes wise, it it's going to be mediocre at best. For me, I wish they would have gone after Andre Drummond. At least defensively, Drummond would have been a solid guy down low. Granted, 
Boston could score, but the issue is, is that Boston just cannot play competent defense and they just don't have a big man to kind of own the paint or own down low. And until they at least figure out this defensive issue that Brad Stevens is, is going to have to address either by the end of the year or going into this offseason, Boston is going to go nowhere until they get this straightened out. This team could score. That, that's not an issue here. Until they get this defense figured out, man, it's going to probably be a first-round exit. And I think the best that Boston could probably do at this point is maybe get to the second round. That's kind of stretching it at this point because the way that I see it, unless they get it into gear right now, they're probably going to finish as the eighth seed or maybe at best the seventh or the sixth seed. And at worst, they could miss the playoffs entirely. That's something that we have to kind of start considering. And I think it's a little bit too early to say that Brad Stevens is the Brad Stevens job should be on the line here, but he's got to lead the direction of this team. And this team is just not heading in the right direction right now. So they got to get it together. And that's putting it mildly. They got to get it together really soon. Oh yeah. Big time. It's, I don't understand how a team only got better. Or should I say, excuse me, they got worse as they got more experienced. Jason Tatum's rookie year, they went to the Eastern Conference Finals against LeBron James. Uh, They had Kyrie Irving. They had Jalen Brown kind of coming into his own. They signed Kemba Walker this past season, the the, the year before. Jason's kind of just been, I don't know how the, how, what's the word I'm looking for, but he merged as a a potential superstar in the league, hitting tough shots and being the kind of the go-to guy. Um, Jalen Brown emerges as one of the better perimeter defenders in the league. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Brad Stevens just continues to show that, you know, he was one of the better coaches in the league coming out of Butler, especially at such a young age to be able to rally the troops around him and then be able to kind of coach up this young squad. We thought Boston was poised to be a consistent playoff nightmare for the next four to five years because they had such a young core. And it seems that over time, Boston was accumulating all these picks and making all these trades and then all these acquisitions. And that may have bit them in the butt because they acquired Evan Fournier at the, uh, at the trade deadline. And he's been damn near dog shit. He has a total of six points in two games. We all know that uh, Daniel Tice, not an efficient, not a big, big name, but you know, nevertheless, still a, a traditional big that was able to shoot somewhat. He was then traded to Chicago and we're sitting here, like Kyle said, relying on Taco Fall, who was a DNP, did not play. And uh, Tristan Thompson, who wasn't even there. I don't know if he's hurt, away on family matters, COVID. I have no idea. It's uh, Tristan didn't even play. So Boston had to rely solely upon uh, two bigs that were barely in, in any named at all. I mean, I don't even know the second person, but I know Mo Wagner out of yeah. Michigan was their starting center last night. Mm-hmm. And again, Dallas doesn't have an overpowering big to really say anything to, you know, to have Boston worry. So, I mean, in, in that regard, they didn't really have to panic, but going forward, we do know that, you know, the presence of a big still does play a factor in this league. Obviously people focus on the stretch bigs, being able to shoot and play a little bit of perimeter defense on switches on, on pick and rolls. But if you to have no big depth whatsoever and have basically two inexperienced kids playing the center position for your team in the regular season, and what you're trying to push, to get out of the slump that you're in, it just doesn't bode well for Boston. And then going forward, it just doesn't make Brad Stevens look any better either. And I told you before the show, I hate when coaches get blamed for players not executing. If I'm a coach, I can yell at you till I'm blue in the face. If you don't feel like listening, I'm going to lose my job before you get cut. Because at the end of the day, it makes me look bad and it makes the team look bad because you're not listening to me. So I was never a fan of the coach getting the brunt of it. It's one thing when it's like, you know, you can visibly see them not listening in a huddle. Or in a timeout, there's a disagreement back and forth. Like, I know um, there was issues with, you know, David Blatt in Cleveland. There were some issues with Luke Walton as a Laker. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just certain coaches just don't bode well in certain situations. But it just goes to show. Brad Stevens was a great coach when things were going great. But when things go bad, it doesn't make a difference who the fuck's calling the plays or, or holding the huddles or holding the team meetings. If you don't want to play defense, 
I can be sitting on the sideline suited up to be, to be the coach. I can't play for you. Yeah. So, you know, going forward, I don't know what's going to happen in Boston. I sure shit don't know what the fuck's happening in Dallas. We did trade. We just traded for JJ uh, Redick, who is out indefinitely right now. So it's, you know, we, you know, the main person we wanted to play efficiently isn't even available to play. So, I mean, obviously we're going to probably burn Luka Doncic to the ground where he has absolutely nothing left in the tank at the end of the year, because without Luka, we are dog shit. And I'm very concerned. We are playing better than we were at the beginning of the year when Kyle and I had made one of our videos saying that we're in, uh, Dallas was definitely in panic mode, but um, we're just going to have to continue to play on, man. We're going to have to continue to see what happens with both teams and the league going forward because the Lakers were annihilated the other night by the Bucks, And, you know, it, it just goes to show the presence of LeBron James and Anthony Davis, even with the acquisition of Andre Drummond is they're definitely missed. So the NBA is currently in a, a change of power right now. I, I think, I think just to kind of hit on one more point with Boston, I think the one thing that I look at this team that really kind of stands out to me is their lack of there is their lack of depth because don't get me wrong. Their starting five is pretty solid but when you look down the list it it gets a little shaky once you get, you know get away from the, now look i will say this i do think that peyton pritchard this kid that's only been in the league for a year or two i think this Over. kid has some really good upside but he is one of few and they're going to need more production from their depth because granted i know their their bench is very young and they got a long way to go before they can really start making an impact for what Boston wants to be in the future. But you're going to have to have more production from just one guy by the name of Peyton Pritchard. Peyton Pritchard can go out and get you some buckets, but they're going to need some other guys, whether it's, you know, I know Mo Wagner started last night, but depending on if he's going to be the starter moving forward, if he's, if he's going to revert back to a role position, later in the year, but you know, I'm looking at other names like Robert Williams, the third I'm looking at Romeo Langford, Aaron Naismith. Like these guys are going to have to step up. Even Evan Fournier, like you mentioned, the guy that they traded for at the trade deadline has done 31 minutes, nothing. six points, bro. 31 minutes. It's going to have to step it up. So I don't want to say that Boston's just a dumpster fire yet. They're still a decent team, but they are, really underperforming from where they should be. This team should be at least running for the Eastern Conference Finals at this point. And this team has really underperformed. And it's not it's not just Brad Stevens's fault. It's nope. the entire team. It's a team effort. And the players are not playing up to snuff. Brad Stevens <sighs> is probably not coaching up to the way that he should. But they they got some issues in Boston. And it's I'm not saying that it's time to, you know, think about firing Brad Stevens yet, but that seat's getting a little warmer. That's for sure. Oh yeah. Big facts. Um, definitely a concern and something to monitor uh, in the NBA going forward. If they do not end up making the playoffs, I'd say the seat is not warm. I would say it's burning hot because there's no reason why a team this talented shouldn't make it. But as we just iterated, you know, uh, if they continue to slide the way that they are right now, they're not poised to be doing anything going forward. Yeah, that's couldn't say it any better. So um, one of our last topics today is a personal one for me, or not a personal one, obviously. I don't know this person personally. Um, the legendary coach that is Roy Williams, who has led the Tar Heel way for the last 17 years, has announced his retirement at 70 years old. Um, Roy coached for 33 years between the universities of Kansas um, and UNC twice. He was the assistant head coach while Dean Smith was there. Uh, you know, we all know the legend that Dean was in the Smith center and whatnot, but uh, as a, as a university of North Carolina fan, since I was a kid, um, I just want to say, thank you, Roy. I know you're never going to see this on the off chance that you do by accident or whatever. Um, you meant a lot to the university. You meant a lot to the fans. You meant a lot to the, to the school um, watching you coach every single group of freshmen that came in, watching you coach the teams that we had, the star-studded teams, the bad teams. And we didn't have a lot of bad teams. I know last season wasn't the best season, but we may do what we had. And, 
coming back to the tournament this season felt good. And it just, you know, it felt like we were poised to be in a good position going forward with the recruits that we had coming. But um, like I said, uh, I'm happy for you. I'm really excited that you've decided to move on and, you know, live a, live a, live a more comfortable life. We do know that for any coach in any sport, any manager, it can be a stressful point or a stressful job to be consistently, you know, on the sideline, day in, day out, yelling, screaming, practice, get up, you know, doing all the things that you do for the community as well as for the university. And uh, like I said, you're going to be very, very, very missed. Bringing three national championships to this already amazing program was a blessing in itself. The hearts that you touched, like I said, in the community and in the NBA with all the players that you've coached, um, it, it, it doesn't go unnoticed and it, it's incredible. And uh, it really does hurt to know that you're you're kind of stepping down. It kind of caught me off guard this morning when I saw. I really thought it was an April Fool's prank because it is April 1st. Um, by the time you guys see this, obviously, it'll be April 2nd. But again, you know, as a University of North Carolina fan through and through, what you did for the for the program was was uncanny and it cannot be matched. So to to for for all of us as as North Carolina fans, I wanted to say thank you and uh, I hope you enjoy retirement, man. I really do. I mean, Kev, you really hit her on the head here. I there's really not there's not much else that I could really add here. I just looking at his overall impact to the game of basketball, specifically at the collegiate level. I mean, he had a 903 and 264 record as a head coach in the in NCAA basketball. That's he's basically winning three out of four games every time he coaches. That's absolutely sensational. Like you mentioned. He won three titles, all with UNC, you know, 2005, 2009, and 2017. Almost made 10 Final Fours as a head coach, which is just absolutely bonkers. Granted, he went to the Final Four a couple times with Kansas and then went to most of them when he was with uh, the University of North Carolina. And just, just think about this for a second, like, Think about Roy Williams and the shoes that he has to fill after Dean Smith, the great Dean Smith, retires from coaching at UNC. Those are very difficult shoes to fill. And I don't think you could have asked anybody to do a better job than what Roy Williams did in replacing Dean Smith. So, I mean, the guy was a two-time AP coach of the year, once in 1992 two and then the other one in 2006 the guy was just sensational and I always thought that his presence on UNC teams was kind of interesting because even though that he was an older coach I thought he was able to really bond and really form great relationships with his uh, with his players and for somebody that old and to still be that admired and that well-respected by kids like coming from our generation and now the younger generation, that's something to behold. And there's not a lot of coaches that could do that as consistently as he did for two to three decades. So you have to give him a lot of respect. I'm going to say this too. Like I was actually surprised at the fact that he ended up retiring today. And I mean, look, it's April fools and, I thought that it was a good April Fool's joke, but I was going down Twitter and find out to believe that it was true that he is going to retire from the game of basketball. And it's, but I will say this an absolutely hell of a career. He has nothing left to prove as far as I'm concerned when it comes to coaching the game of basketball. So he's leaving out at a good time. He's 70 years old. Now he can rejoin retirement the way that he wants to. Obviously, it didn't go the way that he wanted it to this season just because they got bounced out of the, the first game that they were, had in the NCAA tournament this year. But I think he got the most that he could from his players this year. And I think the best thing that he could have asked his players this year is just to go out and do your best. And I'm pretty sure that those guys did everything they could to go out and perform for their coach. And that's all you can ask for. So like I said, you got to give a lot of credit and a lot of kudos to Roy Williams, just a fabulous collegiate coach and probably one of the last great ones 
that we may see for an extended period of time as far as I'm concerned. No, 100%. I mean, obviously, as a North Carolina fan, you know, watching the teams that we had come into the building, you know, the, the recruits we had, I mean, you know, you had the, 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 the great team in 05 with Felton and, and them boys. And obviously you had 2009 with Danny Green and them guys. And then the, uh, the redeemed team, as we called it, with Theo Pinson and Joel Berry coming back and beating Gonzaga in 2016 after we lost to Nova in 15. Um, it just, the resilience that he brought to the table, the, the, the mentality of being able to tell these guys, you know, we can do it. We were not a school that was known for one and dones. We weren't the Kentuckys. We weren't the Dukes. We had players that committed to the program for an extended period of time. You know, obviously Michael played three years. Vince played two or three years. Danny Creed played four. Tyler Hansborough played four. Raymond Felton played three. Like we had players stick it through and play throughout their tenure. Uh, obviously later as time went on, we had a lot of one and dones. We had Cole Anthony. We had Kobe White. We had obviously um, uh, Nasir Little and so on and so forth. Like I said, uh, of recent players that came in and left, Tony Bradley when we won the national championship. But the point of the matter is um, for Roy to be able to be able to say, this is a family, we want you guys to come back. But at the same time, still respect those that did decide to go to the league and maintain that relationship. Like the video that comes to mind that I saw today that uh, shout out to my, my boy, Jared, um, who is a Duke fan, um, he reminded me of that and I actually saw it pop up on my Twitter feed uh, where Kobe had like a, a one of the best nights that he had had at the time in his rookie season where he dropped like 27 points and had like seven or eight threes and Roy was there in the game and uh, you saw the relationship and Kobe get choked up when Roy appeared on the court to, to, to kind of greet him and the relationship that those two seemed to have and like Kobe give him a hug and it was great. Mm-hmm. Um Obviously, the, the message that Theo Pinson and Joel Berry put out because of the relationship they had gone through since they were freshmen and they were a part of the Redeem team as well. Um, it just goes to show the type of man that Roy is and it just goes to show the type of coach that he is, that he built those bonds and that they were genuine. And like Dean Smith, like Coach K and so many others before them, um, I think that uh, Roy is going to be one for the history books. I think that he deserves a statue right next to Dean. And uh, he'll forever be remembered, not that he passed away, but, you know, God forbid, um, he'll be remembered as for sure one of the greatest coaches of all time. And I'm happy to say that he he was the head coach of my favorite college basketball team. Yeah, those those UNC Duke matchups were always fun with uh, Coach K and um, and Roy Williams going at it over the years that they just went back and forth and like those games, those rivalry games, like in college basketball now, because when I was younger, it did seem like college basketball was just the level of excitement was just, you couldn't get anything better than a UNC versus Duke matchup. And even with like college basketball to a certain extent, I think has waned as far as popularity goes in the last couple of years or so. But the one thing that has stayed constant is that UNC versus Duke rivalry. And there's no doubt in my mind that Coach K and Roy Williams, just the teams that they were able to field, the teams that they were able to recruit, just going at it back and forth for the top of the ACC for not only just a couple of years, but for decades. I mean, it was always fun. It was always exciting to watch. And it, it is something that I'm going to miss moving forward just because it's going to be weird looking at North Carolina now and not seeing Roy Williams on the bench coaching the team anymore. It's going to, it's going to hurt, man. I'm not going to lie to you. I don't know who's coming in. Um, I've been trying to just find out what's in our AD's head. To, you know, what are we looking at? Are we looking to hire or promote internally? Are we looking externally? Um, I can't really put my finger on it of what I think is going to happen because it is too early. And this did catch me off guard. I'm pretty sure it caught the organ, the, the, uh, the school off guard as well. So uh, this process should be long and extensive. I hope to God we don't do a, a quick rush hire or a panic hire. The season is still going on and we have time to go out and do an extensive interview process and, and bring somebody in that's going to help this roster, this team. And, you know, you know, to be realistic, the leaving of the, the departure of Roy Williams is going to hinder and really hurt our recruiting classes going forward because people specifically came 
not only for the culture of North Carolina, but to play under one of the greatest coaches. Mm-hmm. You take out the coach and people lose interest immediately. Nobody wants to play for a first-year coach or a guy that's coaching a program that is replacing Roy Williams. Like you said earlier, to, to, to replace the shoes of Dean Smith was one thing. And, you know, I feel like Roy fit those shoes very well. But to then be the next person up after the two of those guys who brought you know, accolades and championships and ACC tournament championships and banners to that university. That's pretty fucking hard. So, you know, like I said, man, realistically, I don't know what the hell is going to happen to the recruits. I already know that some people already answered the transfer portal before Roy announced his retire, uh, retirement. So I, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm not going to lie to you. As a fan, I'm a little nervous of what the hell is going to happen on the court next season. But with that said, it's just you have to fill the spot. And somebody's going to have to rise to the occasion. Very similar to what you said when Dean Smith retired. Do you think that players wanted to go to UNC with a with a new coach in the name of Roy Williams at the time? I well, imagine Roy there was, was already a... established at Kansas, and Roy played or should I say coached Michael James Worthy and a list of other people. Like James, I mean, Roy had the resume behind him to say, "I've already done this. I've already coached these I get, guys." I get it. I get it. It's just. It's different though. It's yeah, not nowadays. The, it, it's not the same. So it's just one of those things. It's like even though that Roy Williams is gone now, now it gives possibly the next great UNC head coach, and we don't even know who it could be, a chance to bring home another championship with UNC. And I'm not even a UNC fan. I'm just saying that now that Williams is giving up the reins, somebody's got to take got to take the reins and lead the team to the next generation of UNC greatness. This is how I see it. I mean, that's, that's, but that's anything, that's any sport, you know, yeah. when, when someone retires or someone, you know, goes to another team, it's, it's next man up. It, exactly. it applies in every situation, coaching uh, at, at work for out for us. Uh, you know what I'm saying? At anywhere, when somebody leaves, you got to pick up the slack. It wouldn't surprise me if they hire within, it wouldn't surprise I- me. I wouldn't be surprised at all. We have a great, you know, coaching staff. We have a lot of former players on that staff. We have former, uh, former alumni for, uh, you know, like uh, great assistants with well-established resumes. I mean, it, the list kind of goes on with candidates that are running through my head. However, um, just because of the level of the recruiting class that we had and the talent, I don't know if they're going to want to externally hire. So I'm just trying to be positive and say that, it, you know, I am really hoping that we do internally because we, we, like I said, we have a great coaching staff and a lot of the players are very, very close to a lot of the assistants on that staff. So with it, with any luck, we'll keep some recruits that were coming in. Hopefully we don't get any decommits and uh, we should be fine, but you never know. Obviously we know a lot that the younger generation coming into the, the platform that they're going to have uh, aren't like back in the day when you commit, you commit and that's it. You know what I'm saying? Now it's like, Oh wait, Roy left. I'm going to decommit. I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to do a decision like Braun did in South Beach and make a whole, you know, oh, I decommitted for this reason. We all know you decommitted because of Roy leaving, but whatever. So, yeah, those are my concerns. But, I mean, other than that, I got nothing else. Yeah. I mean, time will tell on that one. You just have to wait and see on that one. Big time. But I think that's pretty much all that we have for you guys today. So, unless Kev's got anything to talk before we wrap this up, I just want to – Take the time to, once again, thank you guys for tuning in to another episode of the Neighborhood Podcast, whether it was listening to it on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, whether it was watching it on YouTube. We definitely appreciate the support. It's just right now we're starting into the month of April, and sooner or later um, we're going to be diving into kind of the last stretch of the NBA regular season. We still have a couple weeks of the regular season to go, but like – Kev mentioned at the top of the episode, we are now full force into baseball. Baseball has now started. We are going to see what happens within the the first couple of weeks, see which teams kind of set themselves up for a decent run going into the summer months of baseball. And obviously we got the NFL draft coming up in the next couple of weeks. So that will definitely be something we will probably get into next week. I wouldn't be surprised if Kevin and I kind of do kind of like a small little mock draft just to kind of see like where we could see maybe like the first like five to 10 picks um, going to the teams that ended up picking them. 
Yeah, we had a lot of pro days too, so that'll definitely be something we break down. A lot of quarterback play, a lot of wide receiver play. So we're definitely, definitely going to have some film breakdown, hopefully. Yeah, we're pretty much out of the majority of the free agent news at this point, just because most of the guys have already been signed. They're already officially on the teams that they were originally signed to. So pretty much when it comes to NFL free agency, we're pretty much wrapped up on that. But it will be very exciting to watch what goes on with the NFL draft that's coming up because we already have some trades where some teams are moving up in the draft. Get the 49ers believe they moved up to the third pick in the draft. So could they draft a quarterback? Could Jimmy G be on the way out? We don't know yet, but that possibility is now open to some, there's going to be a lot of movement that takes place. There's going to be a lot of news that we're going to be diving into the next couple of weeks. So definitely stay tuned out for that. Kev, I'll let you carry us home. All right. Well, like Kyle said, uh, thank you guys for all the support as per usual. Um, If you haven't already, subscribe to the channel, like, comment, anything you can do to support. We really do appreciate it. Um, We, Like Kyle said, we're going to have some good content coming up next week with all the uh, pending topics and, you know, all the seasons that are coming up and whatnot. So with, uh, with all that being said, I hope you guys have a great night. You know, we got the good weekend coming up. Thankfully I got the next week off. So your boy's going to be chilling with his new pup and, uh, We'll see you guys next week. Yep, that'll wrap it up from here, you guys. Once again, thank you guys, and we'll see you guys next week. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast Networks include Ruby for Female Empowerment, The Best Business Network, and GPN for Geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Welcome to Sarah Talk Solutions. Ladies and gentlemen, you've tuned into a beautiful different type of show. I'm Sarah B and I'm your host. You can find me on my IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. I talk about amazing, relevant conversations and topics and what functions that goes on in this magical, wonderful, wonderful city of the City of Angels. My IG, which is Aussie underscore Sarah underscore LA. Electric. Like